the Savior's love through through the storm. He's Lord, Lord of all. Our hands and worship the Lord tonight, somebody. Our hearts, from our very spirit, from our very hearts tonight, let's worship Him. For His mercy endures forever, His loving kindness and His tender mercies that He has shown us every day. That the very fact that we are standing here tonight is another manifestation of God's faithfulness. That He has preserved and protected and kept and protected us through every adversity and difficulty and challenge and even what the enemy intended to do that God has kept us and preserved us we have so many reasons tonight to worship the Lord so many reasons to be grateful tonight to be thankful tonight and we don't take this moment we don't take this opportunity lightly to be able to worship the Lord and so father we approach your throne tonight with grateful hearts because you are faithful Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies are. You are now watching KITV. Is doing in this season and um, we are trusting God that as we continue to uh, examine his word that he is going to continue to reveal his will for us so the first question I want to ask tonight is does God want us to prosper how many of you believe God wants us to prosper let me hear some shout for that how many of you believe God wants us to prosper great now I want us to look at a scripture tonight it's third John 1 2 um, and if you if you can read it should be on the screen if you have your Bibles it might be good for you to take it to your Bibles and maybe draw a line through it draw a line around it and I want you to put a question mark next to that verse and I'll tell you why in a minute I want you to put a question mark next to 3 John 1 2 uh, it says beloved could we read it together beloved I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Now, many of you would know that this scripture verse has been used over and over again to speak to the issue of prosperity. It has been used as a foundational text uh, in teaching what we refer to as the prosperity gospel. But I want to give you a context of this verse. All right? Uh, this text exegetically is not a broad open promise to everyone this text is not an, a broad open promise to the believers period while we would like it to be so if we are going to confirm to the strictest of exegetical practices which is that we really understand the context of scripture this verse is not an open-ended promise to the believers promising prosperity i want you to follow me are you listening now it may apply to to us but it's not originally written to us so I'll tell you the context of this verse this verse was actually a prayer of the Apostle John to one of the early believers by the name of Gaius Gaius was if you go back to verse 1 he's referred to as the beloved the beloved Gaius Gaius was a 
one of the early uh, converts in Christianity who was very dedicated to the work of the Lord. I mean, he was a very committed, hardworking believer who, by virtue of his commitment to the uh, promulgation of the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom, Gaius had denied himself even the basic of taking care of his own physical health. And so Gaius, at this point, was ailing in his health, ill health. In fact, his body was, uh, was in much pain and discomfort. And the saints who had come to John at this time had given him a good report of how the church was growing and advancing, and they spoke well of Gaius. And they said to him that he oftentimes would deny himself and he is sickly in his body and he does not care for his own provision as he takes care of the needs of the other saints. And so in response to this uh, report of the saints to the Apostle John, John responded to them. Two, first one, he talks about for the saint. Uh, and so he says, I wish... And he is speaking to Gaius now. He says, I wish or I pray that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul is prospering. In essence, he is saying, I know that you have denied yourself and I know that you are working very hard and that you have committed yourself to the truth and to embracing the truth and teaching the truth. But he says that I do not want you to, to, to suffer ill health even as you advance the cause of the kingdom. So he says, I wish above all things, Gaius, that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. Do you understand the context now? But we have embraced this particular text as an open-ended promise to the church that God wants all of us to prosper and be in good health. And we have repeated that. We have quoted that scripture, applying it to ourselves, that God wants us to prosper. But let's also look at the word prosper. In this context, uh, it originates from the Greek word, uh, which is eudestia, which means to have a prosperous journey, to lead in a good way, and to have success in your endeavors. In essence, John is saying, look, I would like for you to do well in the things you are doing. I would like you to have a prosperous journey as you go about the things you are doing. I would like you to also be in good health as you do it. And may God, that God may give you a prosperous journey. That God may give you a prosperous way as you, as you lead in righteousness and as you teach the truth of the word of God. And so the, the, to prosper in that context, he was not saying, John was not saying to Gaius that I wish that you have a whole lot of money. Or I wish that you have houses and land. John was simply saying to Gaius in that context that I wish that you would prosper in the work that you are doing and do not continue to deny yourself of taking care of your health and I wish that you would have good health and I want you to do so even as you are enjoying uh, uh, spiritual prosperity, even as the work of the Lord is being advanced, I do not want you to be denied in your health and lack of prosperity. Are you listening? So that is, brothers and sisters, the true context. Of this verse. Let's look at the word of the, of the, de the definition of the word prosperity. And so uh, the word prosperity, prosperitas, 
It means to advance or to gain in anything good or desirable. To advance or to gain in anything that's good or desirable. Uh, successful progress in any business or enterprise. Success. Uh, the attainment of an objective that you desired. So for example, if I were to, let's say that I was devious in my, in my, in my behavior and I wanted to, um, I was a vagrant and I wanted to break into here when everybody was gone and to steal something. So I set out a plan as to how I will gain access to the building. I bring all of my, my tools and I come in and I steal the piece of equipment and I leave. Now I have been successful in accomplishing my task. Are you there? I have succeeded in what I have set out. I have achieved my objective. Are you listening to what I'm saying? So the only issue of success must also be understood. And that's why Joshua talks about the fact that we shall have good success. Because there is such a thing as bad success. One can be successful but not have good success. Are you there? If you succeed economically but you fail spiritually, that's not good success. If you succeed in business and your family falls apart, that's not good success. If you succeed in climbing the corporate ladder but you lose your health, that is not good success. Are you following? So the only issue, therefore, of prospering has to, has to be that a, a person prospers when they have good success in the things that they have set out to accomplish. Are you following this? So prosperous means to advance in the pursuit of anything that's desirable. So when we speak of someone prospering, we are talking about the fact that they're advancing in anything that's desirable, anything, any pursuit that is desirable, uh, making gain or increase, thriving successfully as a prosperous trade or a prosperous voyage or a prosperous expedition or undertaking. That a person is a prosperous man or a prosperous woman or family, or nation, or even a prosperous war. Are you understanding? Because you set out to achieve an objective, and you accomplished that. And so, it's, it's important, notice that this definition of prosperity, it debunks the notion that prosperity is primarily in economic and financial terms. It debunks the prosperity gospel. Very often when we hear about prosperity in the body of Christ, it is always attached to economic and financial gains. I want us to disabuse our minds of that notion. Are you there? It is not biblical. Prosperity is not just about economic gains. Are you following me so far? The modern teaching on prosperity has contextualized it primarily in economic and material terms. But it is evident from this definition that to be prosperous does not necessarily mean that a person has to have a whole lot of money and material things. We would like to have that. But do you know that there are people who are prospering, but they do not have a lot of wealth? Are you following me so far? So one has to therefore be very careful in how we limit God's plan for our lives by simply understanding prosperity from an economic perspective. Are you following me so far? Are you there? Good. And so it's necessary for us to understand these, uh, 
understand these principles. So the question then, does God want us to prosper? Does God want us to prosper? One may ask, therefore, so in view of the fact that 3 John uh, 1, 2 uh, speaks to the old issue that we now understand the context, that it really was speaking to Gaius, are we therefore to understand that it does not apply to us? And then we may say, well, what about, uh, what about Joshua 1, 8? If you observe to do what I have commanded you, then you shall make your way prosperous. God was speaking to Joshua. Can we say, well, that does not apply to us? What about Deuteronomy 28? Are you there? All of these things. Deuteronomy 8.18. Remember the Lord, for it is he that giveth power to get wealth. Is it speaking to us or Israel? So the question, therefore, we need to ask ourselves is, does God want us to prosper? And does the scripture apply to us? Does the scripture apply to us as it relates to prosperity? Can we apply Joshua 1.8 to us? Can we apply Deuteronomy 28? Can we apply Deuteronomy 8.18? Can we apply 3 John 1.2? Does it apply to us as it relates to our prosperity? Let me answer that by quoting from 2 Timothy 3.16. Everybody read it with me. What does it say? All scripture... Come on, say it with me. All scripture is God breathe, which means God breathed into it, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Did you see that? All scripture. And so what we need to understand, therefore, is that while exegetically, some scriptures may apply in its original context, may have been spoken to a particular individual or spoken in a particular context. What we should not be deceived into thinking is that those scriptures do not also apply to us because all scripture is profitable. All scripture, because it is God breathed, which means that God is the one who breathed upon men and inspired them to write these scriptures. These scriptures, therefore, are not necessarily time-limited and time-bound. The Word of God is timeless and eternal. Are you following me? Come on, talk to me, everybody. Are you following me? So all scripture is profitable. So does it apply to us? Come on, talk back to me. Does it apply to us? The third, does third John uh, two, 1, 2 apply to us? And what above all things that you prosper? Can it apply to us? Is it God's desire for you and I to prosper? Okay. So we understand, therefore, that we, while some scriptures may be understood in a, in a particular context, we must also appreciate that all scripture is good for rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness. Are you following? All right. So who does God want to prosper? That's what we need to ask tonight. Does God want everyone to prosper? Who does he want to prosper? Let's read Proverbs 28, 25. An arrogant man stirs up dissension. But anyone who trusts in the Lord prospers. So who does God want to prosper? Those who trust in him. Say that with me. Those who trust in him. So God doesn't want everyone to prosper. God wants those who trust in him to prosper. Follow me now. Who does God want to prosper? Those who 
trust in him. Those who put their trust in God. And so let's read also Psalms 1, 3 together, everybody. 1, 2, 3. Let's go. What it says. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatsoever he does, he prospers. Who is he? Okay. Psalms 1 is a comparison between the wicked and the righteous. The entire of Psalms 1 is a comparison between the wicked and the... Say it with me. The wicked and the righteous. So Psalms 1 is a comparison between the wicked and the righteous. So, when you, you, so, so verse 3 is speaking about who? About who? Let me go at it again. Psalms 1 is a comparison between the wicked and the righteous. He is who? Of course the righteous. Can't be the wicked. If we talk about two groups of people, there has to be one. So the wicked and the righteous. So he says the righteous therefore. The righteous shall be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. And whatsoever the righteous does shall prosper. So who does God want to prosper? Who does God want to prosper? Come on, talk to me, everybody. So God wants to prosper those who put their trust in him. And God wants to prosper them. So God doesn't want to prosper everybody. God does not want everyone to prosper. Are you there? God wants those who put their trust in him to prosper. God wants the righteous to prosper. Amen. All right. So who does God want to prosper? The righteous. Psalms 35, 27. Let them shout for joy. Let them shout for joy and rejoice. Why? Who favor my vindication? And let them say continually, the Lord be magnified. Who delights in the prosperity of everyone. Is that what is there? Who delights in the prosperity of his Servants. Amen. And so, God wants to prosper who? Who does God want to prosper? There's a verse right up there. Who does God want to prosper? His servants. His servants. Those who do His will. Those who put their trust in Him. Those who are righteous. And those who serve the Lord. Now, anybody can tell me what it means to serve the Lord. What does it mean to serve God? To walk uprightly. Hmm? Denying self. Now, the word serve, of, you understand the word serve, came from the root word servant. And a servant is someone who serves a master or a lord. And so the Bible speaks of the fact that the Lord our God is one, identifying that we are not just... Uh, in the context of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the relationship between God and man, is that we are not just God's creation, we are all God's creation, but there are those who serve the Lord. There are those who make Him their Lord and submit to Him as servants. Are you there? So it is not just an issue of what we do for the Lord, but it is also understanding who He is to us, in that we submit ourselves as servants of the Most High God. 
Anybody following me so far? A servant is someone who makes themselves subservient to their master. A servant is someone who makes themselves available to serve their master. A servant is someone whose, whose only delight is to do the bidding of his master. So let's put it into context. Jesus, therefore, talks about the fact that he has not come to be served, but to serve. And you saw what he did in exemplifying the life of a servant. Hmm? That he washed the feet of those who culturally were not his superiors. But he washed their feet. He served. He made himself submissive and submitted to the divine agenda of serving humanity. Of not counting himself higher than any. And so it's an, it's an attitude, therefore, that, that is required to be a servant. The Bible talks about the fact that God resisted the proud, but give it what? Grace to those who will humble themselves. It is speaking of a mindset. It is speaking of an attitude. So God wants those who have a mindset of a servant who serve him to prosper. Not those who wait around to be served. Not those who are interested in simply having titles. Not those who are simply about getting a position or a promotion. But those who will serve. Are you there? There is a contradiction today in the body of Christ where somehow the, the higher we go, the less we think we ought to serve. And the more we, the more we believe we should be served. Are you listening? No, here's what I need to clarify. Because as, 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 as you grow in ministry, one of the things that you will find is that Jesus spent a great deal of time with the 12 disciples. And the 12 disciples, after Jesus left, spent a great deal of time with the rest of the world. It was necessary for him to pour of himself into the 12. If Jesus had not been intentional about pouring himself and serving the 12, I promise you, we would not have even had the church today. Are you following? He was very intentional in how he served. So the point I'm making is there are times when as you go higher, you have to narrow for the purpose of impact. Now, here's, here's the principle behind that. I don't know if as those of you when you were children remember that you had to... Have you ever tried starting a fire using a magnifying glass? How many of you ever tried that? You tried starting a fire using a magnifying glass. Good. Now, have you ever tried starting it and you're moving the magnifying glass all around? Will it work? No. no. What do you do? You have to hold it still. Are you there? And so, it, in essence, the point is that there are times when you have, to, you have to be intentional, you have to concentrate your energy, and you have to be selective to be effective. Are you following this? There are times when you have to be selective to be effective, which is that you have to decide how you will spend your time, who you will spend it with to ensure that you are having maximum impact. Some years ago when the church I was pastoring grew, uh, it was a very significant congregation, I could not pastor that many people, quite a few hundred people. So what we did is that I had pastors 
who each pastor was responsible for about 30 or 40 persons. They pastored 30 or 40 individuals. That was their group in the church. And so when I met with them, there were like about nine or 10 of them. When I met with them, they gave me an account of what was happening with the people that they were pastoring. Because it's difficult for one person to effectively pastor 500 people. Are you understanding that? So here's the point I'm making, however, is that one has to be very careful in not thinking that by virtue of our title and by virtue of our position that we no longer serve. We may have to be selective in how we serve. We may have to be selective in where we serve, but we must serve. So God wants to prosper those who serve. Are you there? And so I want to put that into context. Don't just look at that word servant and assume that it's talking about just those who are on the platform or those who have a microphone or those who have a title of bishop and apostle and pastor. and No. He's going to prosper those who are serving. Whether you have a title or not. Anybody following? Anybody listening? Uh-huh. Who will not prosper? Who will not prosper? Okay, the wicked. Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his sins, <laughs> he who hides his transgressions, he who conceals his sins shall not prosper. But he who confesses it will find compassion. So those who have secret sins and continue in their secret sins and cover their secret sins will not prosper. Anybody hearing? Prosperity, therefore, depends on the condition of one's heart. It depends on an open relationship with God and with our fellow men. Because I can promise you that all of our transgression is not always against God only. At times when our transgression is also against people that we share relationships with. Are you there? We can sin against each other. We not only sin against God, we can transgress against each other. Are you following? If you read the Ten Commandments, you would realize that the Ten Commandments, and I've said this several times, the Ten Commandments basically talks about honor, all ten. Six of them talk about honoring God, and six talks about honor, well, honor or dishonoring God, and six talks about honor or dishonoring your neighbors. Every sin is a sin of dishonor. Every sin. Every single sin is a sin of dishonor. It is either you're dishonoring God or you're dishonoring your neighbors. And in the case of fornication, you're dishonoring your own body. Anybody listening? Mm. But the point is, those who will hide their sins against God and against their neighbors will not prosper. What is this teaching us? It is teaching us that in order to prosper, we have to own up to our sins, take responsibility for our transgressions, make restitution where necessary, but we cannot hide our sins, whether from God or from each other. And one of the things that we do not do much in the body of Christ anymore is confess. Confession is a thing of the past for many. Anybody listening? We don't confess our sins as we ought to. We don't confess to God. We, we just think because we feel sorry that it's done with. No, you have to open your mouth. Let me say this to you, and you should write this one down. 
The only way sin comes out of your life is through your mouth. You can't pass it out any other way. Or any other place. Sin can only leave your life through your mouth. The Bible says if you confess, then he will forgive. Which means if you don't open your mouth and confess, how can you be forgiven if there is no confession? Anybody listening? And one of the things that we somehow struggle with in the body of Christ is that we, we think we feel sorry. And we think that simply because uh, we feel sorry that it's done with. No, the Bible says godly sorrow leads to repentance. Which means after you feel the godly sorrow, you must then repent. Sorry. We must then repent. 